podcast where your two hosts are ranking all the alternative albums of the 90s. And um, we're doing it even after days and days of cold rain falling on us. Yep, it's a, it's a good time for a goth album. It really is um, here in almost Halloween land. Um, yeah, it's been cold and rainy here it, for four straight days now. Our yard is flooded. It, our our souls are flooded. Our souls are flooded. It's it's it's, it's a pity. flood. It's a floodland, you might say. God damn it! I was about to be like, pity we can't do floodland. <laughs> We were both fighting to make the Sisters joke. But what we can do is the album Vision Thing from 1990 by Sisters of Mercy, and that's what we're going to start with this week. So why don't you take that one away, Adrian? Well, take back what I I paid for another motherfucker in a motorcade. (laughs) Uh, Timely, when it comes to the week at hand. Yeah, Uh, this really worked out perfectly. Yeah, because nothing like a bunch of just a little outmoded, angry leftist goth music. And so Vision Thing is probably Sister's most maligned album, and it's the only one in the 90s that we can actually do, because the only album, other album they released in the 90s was a compilation piece later in later in the decade. Yeah, and then never anything ever again. Yeah, Sister's is a the three albums and they were done situation. But they're still touring. Yeah, but... <laughs> well, you once you do Lucretia, My Reflection, like, ain't nobody gonna give you shit. Like, that song is just a banger. Um, I think that song's a banger. I know people like... Uh, Oh, what is that other one? This Corrosion? Yes. I like this Corrosion a lot more. I'm a fan of Lucretia My Reflection. I'm a fan of a lot of Sisters music because honestly, like, they are another one of the bands, kind of like Susie, that weren't, you know, trying to be goth but had zero hope of being anything other than goth once that whole scene was established because there's a lot of... We wanted to be a rock band and we wanted to be a metal band and... Everybody stole from Sisters, even how stripped down their music is. Because, honestly, there's not a whole lot of ornamentation to Sisters of Mercy's music. And this album in particular is very stripped down for them. No choruses, just some backup singers, still some chunky beats, but it's not nearly as full-fleshed as like something like Floodland. No, this is definitely like our you know we're gonna become a stripped down rock band um Mm -hmm. which i i mean the sisters were always a rock band you know it's they're goth but it's goth rock it's it's much more in the tradition of the cult than than i mean it's hard not to call Bauhaus a rock band too but like yeah but they're they're more like peter murphy was just a little more fancy yeah he like he he liked he liked some synthesizers he liked some ornamentation Sisters is pretty much like you show up in a leather jacket with a nose ring and a broken bottle and you're ready to fucking dance and fight. And like, that's their audience. Those are death rockers in my mind because those are the death rockers I knew. (laughs) Yeah. So this album is very... uh, So the title comes from a George George H.W. Bush quote when when he said basically it was a comment on him like having no having no vision Mm-hmm. Because his advisors were trying to get him to, when he was running, about to run for president in, in 89, to get him to lay out his, his grand idea for the country. And he was like, oh yeah, the vision thing. Like he just had complete scorn for having ideas, basically. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a, even like a, yeah, one million points of light, one billion dollar vision thing. Yeah. Yeah, like, no, like, they were on the forefront of hating bushes, so. Yeah. Props. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't like this album as much as Floodland, for example, but it's not, it's not bad, but man, is this a butt rock album? It gets, it gets unneed, like needlessly maligned because I think, so I'm not, I'm going to be honest and this is going to be any, any real goth listening to stop listening. Um, I think something fast is like a Trans-Siberian Orchestra's Sisters of Mercy song, the Trans-Siberian Sisters of Mercy (laughs) Uh, because it's just, it, there's something about it that just strikes me like one of those very, like, angel came down, like, trans-Siberian orchestra songs. So, so, so 
Is this not a Roxy Music song, or does it just make me feel the same way Roxy Music makes me feel? It is not. It seems very glam. It is very glam, and that's and that's something that I've always appreciated about the Sisters of Mercy is that even though it was very chunky and industrial, and you know predates those terms being applied more broadly, they knew what they were fucking about, and a lot of goth came from glam, like they just straight up, like it was a lot of punks who were like. Man, the fancy fucks got the four four beats, but we still like them. Uh, so, right, but it, it's. I mean, this is what was called glam, you know, glam metal in the in the eighties, which is also known as hair metal. <laughs> it's it's no oh, no no no. Excuse me. It's known as hair metal, and people who call it glam need to get them off the fucking planet. Um, but but that is what people called hair metal at the time. Well, was they're fucking glam rock. rock. It's not glam rock. Oh my god. And we can we can blame this solely on fucking Queen because everyone who did an arena rock album post Queen invoked a sort of garish aesthetic that wasn't glam. Glam was garish, but it was not gar. It's fucking straight people, okay? It's fucking straight people <laughs> trying to do queer people shit and being fucking terrible at it. Uh, sorry, I just hair metal fucking sucks and it's, it's, no it does and it's it's not a genre that you can that, that being you said can try i like to re recapture like there was just it was very time and place and and i'm not saying that that's what that that's the direct descendant of t-rex or anything no and the reason that that happened was because the suite made the the, the uh the crossover from being a, an also run glam band into a hair metal band not necessarily as fully as something like Twisted Sister, which I actually don't mind Twisted Sister all that much. I don't think of Twisted Sister as hair metal. Uh, they were they were more just shock rock in a way, but yeah, but they they were they were more they had a satanic bent in a funny way. They were more taking the piss out of Black Sabbath, which is a whole other discussion. To have. Yeah, no, they were they were cartoonish, but it wasn't. The, but I would also like, give ultra that misogynistic, you know, homophobic. You know, straight guy, super homophobic straight guys trying to mimic queer artists that hair yeah. metal was. Yeah, and I would actually give Twisted Sister more of a claim to being glam because they took the sense of irony, which is something that is very rife through Roxy Music, which is the most straight of all glam bands. Like, even they had a queer art eye that was better than a lot of people around them. And it's... But I think it's because that Brian Ferry had an art background and he was very, you know, keen on aesthetic. And this is where Sisters of Mercy can come into being, uh, you know, successors to that. They have a very keen aesthetic. And even in this album that people don't like as much, you have their aesthetic in their music. You have a overt fondness for some for some Russian political aims, uh, a lot of communism. I mean, uh, this album is so cold, so into the Cold War. Yes, it very much is. And I think people don't like it as much because it's not as chunky. And it's not what they expect. Like, when you when you hear Floodland, like, that's a showstopper. And I think Sisters had a hard time following it in a lot of ways. And it didn't help that they were at war with their record label while this album was being made. Yes. It, that and... So aside from Andrew Eldritch and the the their drum machine, Doctor Avalanche, this was an entirely new lineup. Yeah, and, and Andrew Eldritch is a fucking mensch when it comes to that stuff. Like he's a cool dude. <laughs> and he's uh, yeah. So the, there were problems with royal royalty disputes were like the big thing, and then like I mentioned this on the show last week, but Andrew Eldritch and Chuck D wanted Public Enemy and Sisters to tour together. And they they sort of managed to do that. They they did about 11 shows before they couldn't find any other promoters willing to book that show because they thought it would start a race riot because people are idiots. Um, and, and in particular, their record label, just the sister's record label, just refused to give them any support for this tour. Which is so And they, they had to, <clears throat> like Andrew Eldridge had to pay for pay for promotional materials for the tour out of his own pocket because the record label wouldn't wouldn't give them any support whatsoever. That's so fucking bullshit. And so after this album they technically went on strike. I mean that's what that's what Andrew Eldridge called it was was going on strike against the record label and then somehow they managed to uh, well um 
what what's the Trump is it some girls wander by mistake mm-hmm. the compilation album that was like part of that was mostly put out as part of fulfilling their deal because they still owed the label like three albums <laughs> yeah um, and 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 Andrew Eldridge is a Eldridge is a very he it dis- he displays good praxis when it comes to that stuff and like I would like I would like for the broader goth community to fucking get off their fucking high horses about their racism at this point because like a lot of y'all listen to <laughs> this corrosion and are still fucking terrible when it comes to inclusive scenes so uh goths for everybody and he was trying to show you that you can have diverse music tastes and not be a fucking bitch yeah so <laughs> and that's kind of you know it, it that was in the air at the time it's it's similar to what perry farrell was trying to do with Lollapalooza, although perry farrell also has some shitty kind of racist ideas about mm-hmm. music but it's uh, um it, you know, it, it was in the air, the, this like, hey, you can have different kinds of bands on a venue together because most people don't just listen to one kind of music. And like most people actually do have somewhat diverse tastes. And and even if they don't necessarily have super diverse tastes, if an artist you like says, hey, we like this artist, you're probably going to give them a shot or you're more likely to give them a shot. I know I've definitely like looked up bands because bands I like talked them up. Um, I mean, I got into like a lot of old country because of musicians that I like being like, you know, what's really good old country. Listen to it. And I'm like, OK, yeah. Oh, shit. This is really good. So like it. Yeah, it happens. And so I think this album is definitely it it, it, def- it shows the being at odds with the label. And it also is somewhat self-indulgent because I don't think they were aiming to please anybody but themselves. So, yeah. And, well, I mean, the vocals stand out as noticeably different for the most part. Mm-hmm. He's trying much to more restrained perform. than, than, you know, this corrosion or that big booming, you know, club, club sisters <laughs> from the previous albums. He's, he's pulled, he pulls his vocals back a lot more. Like think of, um, ribbons, for mm-hmm. example, which I think is the, I think Vision. Thinks... I don't know if it's the best song on the album. I think it's the most interesting, most ambitious song on the album. Oh, for sure, and it's and I think it had the most influence over bands like She Wants Revenge because She Wants Revenge' entire gimmick is that song. Yeah, to some extent, but not nearly as avant-garde as that song gets. No, at, but at it's <laughs> very clearly like he listened to a sister's album and went, "Okay, I can make a thing." Yeah, yeah. Fuck, she wants revenge. <laughs> um, I, I saw them live once, and they were fine. But man, oh yeah, their I'm singer sure the is full of himself. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually kind of like every song on this album. Like some slightly less than others, but like vision thing is so my my test for a good sister song is if you can punt that shit super loud in your car and just drive to it. Yeah. And a whole shit vision thing delivers. Yeah, Vision more... Thing and Dr. Jeep are like the two classic sister and, and like you can't tell me Dr. Jeep is not a reference to Jeepster. Oh, it absolutely it, is. It, I mean this album is so glam that, that Yeah, it's just it's just doom glam when it comes down to it. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think Ribbons is really good um, and, and very different from most previous Sisters albums. It has a little bit of a Love and Rockets feel at first, yes. um, but then it, it kind of becomes this almost like audio collage by the end where the music's kind of dropping out. And so it's like a... It, uh, the the impression I get from the song, I don't know if it's if this is the idea, but it was kind of like behind the iron curtain love story mm-hmm. kind of the, like you know the danger of of being in you know east germany or something <laughs> well it, it, you know what you can't really miss on when you make assumptions about the sisters of mercy it's probably about russia in some faction it, right <laughs> but, but like she looked good in ribbons is kind of a double almost a double entendre of like you know not just the clothing item or the the accessory but like cut to ribbons you yeah know, by barbed wire um but like part of the song is him screaming incoming and then like as the song ends it kind of like cuts down to less and less and it's just like vocal parts of him like repeating uh you know repeating what, what i don't remember now what what part of the song he's repeating but it's like that looped with him screaming incoming and the, it's kind of like a long outro to the song which is not something i feel like that you would have heard from them on on previous albums it 
It feels flowers more like on a, the razor wire. Just walk on in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which again, flowers on the razor wire. Come on, it doesn't get more. Yeah, I tried to tell her about marks and angles, God and angels. I don't really know what for, but she looked good in ribbons. So just walk on in. Like, yeah, it's a. Uh... So I'm a, I'm gonna go ahead and assume that that song was written from an alternate perspective of him being on the the, the East German side of that situation. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's I I applaud his steadfastness to Marxism because it's there. It's it, it, a lot of it is just like, hey, heroin addiction's real fucking bad, and also Marxism's cool. So I'm like, props, bro. Heroin is bad, and Marxism could be possibly pretty cool. Yeah, so as somebody who was kind of like, like I, I've I listened to goth music, but like I was way more of a like Cure and Susie goth fan than like Bauhaus and Sisters up until I was like in my probably I mean, it was probably my mid to late twenties before I really started to get into that stuff, and. The the way I always heard the like hardcore goths I hung out with talk about sisters was is like the lightweight, you know, they were like the party boys. Hardly it was almost no. like it was almost like the way they talked about Depeche Mode. It was like sisters were slightly above Depeche Mode Depeche Mode in terms of respectability. And that that this album definitely is not that. I mean, I that, I don't know if this was on. a bid for legitimacy, because I I mean I'll be honest, I haven't paid that much attention to the lyrics on their other albums. Um, and this corrosion is like meant to be a joke. Oh, like, absolutely. It's, it's him making fun of a, a guy who quit the band for writing shitty lyrics. And, Dance and then the of course it's their me. most popular songs, which yes, I'm sure which drives him insane. <laughs> oh yeah, no. And so I always thought that their lyrics were complex because there are obvious like digs, but there is a, a, a methodology to what he's trying to do. And people who think it's lightweight, like, only think that because of the way that their instrumentation is i think because it's like other goth bands do more complexity and the sisters come in and just kick your fucking door down with a beat and you go yeah i'm gonna sit here and nod in the club to this and you're missing the point and there was there's always been an undercurrent of activism there's always been an undercurrent of you know diversity and intensity to sisters of mercy that i feel needs to be respected and because, I mean, they they also came out of the punk scene that, you know, Susie came out of. And Susie doesn't get handed nearly as much shit as bands like Sisters of Mercy do. I think it's because they're so popular. I think they I think it's because they were a crossover. Because people who don't know shit about goth heard, like, this corrosion and were like, this song is fucking great! And... I, I think way more people heard Kiss Them For Me than heard this corrosion. Well, that's but... way later, though. Like no, not way later. It's like a year later. Oh yeah, but it feels. Or wait, no, later than this album. Not so. It was like what three years later than this version. Yeah, it, like so, like Goth had changed in its its scape, and people weren't crossing over. They crossed over before anybody else did. I mean, The Cure did, but no one really gave The Cure shit because uh, The Cure is like Goths love them, but like they're not. On, the goth. Cure is not really a Goth band after. After pornography. No, but it's still, you know... I think Robert's lyrics stay in a dreamy, darkly sad place in some aspects. Even happy lyrics tend to take a... On a wrong day, take a, a real dark turn if you think about it too hard. Hmm. But he is another person who was just gonna be goth forever. Like, it, it's even... <sighs> I don't know. I, there are some there are some artists who just can't help but be goth, and I think The Cure stays in that that vein because Robert Smith can't help but be goth, <laughs> and he sort of defines what goth is, and he makes it okay for someone to stop wearing leather and wear a hockey jersey and just do whatever the fuck you want. I'm He's, gonna say that he did not make that okay. I, I mean, I will wear a hockey jersey, but Robert Smith looks real bad in one. You know what? He's having fun and he's comfortable, so... Uh, yeah, he's comfortable. It's... I can't tell if he actually has, you know, fun ever, because I also know that feeling of <laughs> I never actually have fun. But yeah, um, this album, if you are on the fence about Sisters albums, give Vision Thing another listen, because one, the song Vision Thing is a fucking banger, 
Two, it's short. Three, it has a interesting fucking history around it. And four, it's it's just not nearly as bad as you think it is. It is not the album people wanted it to be, which is why it is the most maligned. But it is not a bad album by any means. It is not perhaps the most engaging or inventive. I think it is inventive sometimes. Yeah. It's also butt rock sometimes, and that's where it falls down. I disagree on that point some, but I'm not going to fight you too hard on it because I just, I think I have a, I think I have a soft spot in my heart for what's happening here. I mean, you, you look, butt rock. Oh, came out of glam. Like it's boogie. Yes. You have to admit it. Oh, so no. there's nothing wrong with having a soft spot for butt rock. It's not the same as having a soft spot for hair metal. Like those aren't the same thing. But it, this is '80s hard rock. Oh it, yeah, like, and it, it's it's. I can fuck with some '80s hard rock. Yeah, I can like fuck if, with hard if rock. the sisters weren't the sisters, I might have like fought this album being on the show for not being alternative enough. It's so like mainstream '80s hard rock. But but it was in the '90s and. It, but it was written in the '80s. It came out in '90, so you know they were writing these songs in the '80s. Uh, like, we're not gonna look. Don't 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 pick that fucking battle because I'm gonna start dressing down everybody for that. Well, no, I'm like, not saying that's like, I'm not saying that makes it bad. I'm just saying it's very 80s because 1990 was still the 80s. Culturally. Mm. So can we do albums from 2000? No. Mm. Just like we can't do albums from 1999. 1989. Oh, no, no albums from 1999. <laughs> no. Hmm. Madam. <laughs> um, Did you want to rank this shit? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to leave it up to you. I mean, I might fight you a little bit, but, like, you're going to have to tell me where you want this. Because, I mean, like, so our our goth block of Carved in Sand and Cascade, I would, like, if I were had sole control, I would put this between those two, probably. Because I don't like it as much as Carved in Sand. But I also see an argument for it being higher than Carved in Sand. So so hit me with where you want it, want it to go. I think it's a solid 30. 30... Okay, yeah, I'm totally cool with Because I, I honestly would like to put it up around, like, no depression. Uh, but I think being honest... I don't think it should... I mean, I think Gold Mother is, like, the one it doesn't get past. I think that's the gatekeeper for this Oh, album. yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> I mean, I, I thought about it, and I'm like, I personally would put it up there with no depression as far as my personal list of liking things. Yeah. But I do think it's it's in that 30 range. It's, it's It hangs out with Gary, and it hangs out with the Dandy Warhols and Joy Electric, which is a weird block to be in, but it uh, is... Not that Joy Electric album. I mean, that's the... He he called that their their glam goth album or whatever. So I guess it fits then. Or so. no, new romantic. I don't remember. Well, but it, because I remember he said it was not a goth album. Oh god, I just thought about that fucking we got the dark romantic song. <laughs> oh, no, I'm gonna drag the fuck out of that band when we finally get to fucking do their albums because <laughs> they have one of the '90s and bitch, I'm coming for you. Um, but yeah, I think it's a good place for it. Okay. It was going to be hard, right? I'm not going to be a, a real asshole. No, I, 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 like, I didn't think this one was going to be super hard because, like I said, I was I, I see an argument for it going as high as 29. I don't, I can't put it above gold mine. And the thing is, I think uh, Carved in Sand is functionally more on the pulse of where goth went and what it was doing. Yes. But I think the Sisters album is just a better album. I think it's just definitively <laughs> better. <laughs> I disagree, but also, I mean, again, and I'm, I'm not going to fight it because I, I can see both sides of, of this one. So, yeah. and I love that I love Carved in Sand. I actually kind of wish it was higher on the list because I would have to not to make this justification. But then I think about <laughs> it's a bit hokey, and it's fine. It's a bit hokey, but it's it's good. And that's and and we've mentioned this before, but like uh, members of the mission were at a brief stint in Sisters of Mercy at one point, which is why that is coming up in this discussion. Yeah. And the, just, you know, they're both 1990 goth albums. True. All right, so Sisters of Mercy's Fission Thing goes between uh, We Are the Music Makers by Joy Electric and Dandy's Rule OK, which puts it at number 30. And we'll be back to talk about the cardigans.
we're back, and in the second half of tonight's show, we're going to be talking about an album from 1994. It's uh, Immerdale by the Cardigans, which was their first album. Um, so this band, get ready for me to mispronounce all the Swedish names. <laughs> um, this, this band was formed by Peter Svensson and Magnus Svingensen. Um, Svenningsen? Svensson and Svenningsen. Um, they, who were both heavy metal musicians. <laughs> so I don't know, I couldn't really find why the two guys who were in a metal band decided to quit and start the Tardigans. But thank fuck they did. Um, and then during the making of their first demo tape, uh, Nina, it, we would pronounce it person. I, I, I tried to find a actual pronunciation Let me see the in P-E-R-S-S-O-N. Person? Yeah, I, I heard like Parson. So Nina Parson joined as lead vocalist. Um, while they were making their demo, and I think she only sang on one song on the demo, but it was enough to get them signed by a Swedish label called Trampoline Records, and Emmerdale came out in 1994. And it was only released in Sweden and Japan. And man, did Japan eat this shit up. Oh, I can hear that, definitely. I mean, Tahimi Terry. Yes. And was... I don't remember if she released anything before this, but obviously this was a massive influence on her... And on a bunch of other Japanese indie pop bands. And if you listen to Shiba Yake at all, it was definitely inspired in part by the Cardigans. Um, because, yeah, the for whatever reason, this was one of those foreign acts that the Japanese just glommed onto. And well, I, I definitely think her voice like hits in a very like uh, Japanese women's pop star register. Like, particularly on this album. Because she, you know, gets more range and ex- explores more notes uh, later in her career, but this album is very much like twee pop in some ways. Yeah, and that's that's selling it short. I mean, it is twee, but I don't like, like twee shit. So I'm this sorry. album is for a debut album. This is so like musically accomplished, and like it takes a lot of bands several albums to get anywhere near this good. I mean, yeah, and, and I think that's on the back of the fact that, like, some metal dudes what wanted to start a different sound did, did that. And say what you want about metal dudes, but metal musicians that, like, know their shit and can just do whatever, they're very good at playing their instruments. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, most metal bands, you have to be a fucking really good musician to, to play that shit. Yeah, we, we you because you, you all know, you've all heard... A bad metal band, and they fall into very amateur genres. I mean, it's yeah, it's it's a it's a tangent, but yes, bad metal bands are bad. Um, so this is kind of like not entirely out of the the realm of like indie jingle pop but it's so much more than that because it's you know it has jazz influences and Burt Bacharach you know 60s easy listening influences and you know they're playing flutes and oboes and (laughs) harpsichords and I mean there's so much the arrangements are so great and there's some Motown and it's just so so such great arrangements, such perfect, perfect production for this music. Um, you know, we talked about Suddenly Tammy and how the, the like, flat, not very inspiring production on that album was a big problem. And this is, like, the complete opposite of that, where this band was just... This is almost too much production. It's perfectly produced for what it is, like, for the style of music that they play. Um, and if you've only ever heard Love Fool and later, like, I mean, Love Fool wouldn't have been totally out of place on this album, but this album's more serious than that. And and I think that's a, a big disconnect for me because my, you know, history of the Cardigans is Love Fool and Later. And and, and I'm not dismissing this album in any way. I definitely hear everything Natalie is saying. And this is one of those times where I'm just kind of deferring to, to <laughs> Natalie on this because I, this music does not speak to me in any way. I see something that is better in the future. But I can absolutely appreciate everything that Natalie is saying about it. 
uh, I just have a hard time not going, I don't want to listen to this. Yeah, whereas I, like, I mean, this is one of the albums that, I mean, this is a Desert Island album for me, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, I don't know, I might pick the North American release of Life, which was their, their second album, but the Life that came out here is not really the... The the life the album that was called Life here that came out with the exact same fucking cover for some reason is a combination of this album and it's like the greatest hits of this album and Life. Hmm. Um, the actual Swedish and Japanese release of Life is a totally different album. Um, and me- meanwhile, my Desert Island album would be Manifesto by Roxy Music. <laughs> right, but uh, so uh, I. I just this is an album that I just want to gush about and I'm trying to contain it and be I'm giving somewhat you a, articulate. <laughs> I'm giving you a platform to gush because I I have I mean, my my complaints are, are entirely that I think that her singing style matures as they mature as a band and it becomes a little more sure of itself and full bodied uh which I prefer. Uh, I have a hard time with very twee affectation on singing. Uh, not in every instance, but in here it was just very like kind of fighting the music to my ear, and I think it may be because I'm more aware of how she sings later. Then uh, that was why that was an issue for me. Yeah, I mean, especially by the time you get to um, Gran Turismo was the album after first band on the moon. I mean, she's everything about the band has changed a lot by that point. Yes, um, and and like I will get to that album eventually. I had zero interest in it when it came out because it didn't sound like this. Well, then that's um, fair. I just think that this was a, a great prestige piece and they were very clearly competent at everything they do, but I don't think it had a a resonance. Well, I am not I am not saying that it doesn't have resonance for you. I am saying that I think the reason their sound changed so much is that they understood that it didn't have the resonance that it needed for, for a broader appeal. I... Not in America, but every, I mean, uh, other parts of the world, they were, this stuff was huge. Yeah. So it definitely did, it just, not with an American audience. Um, So I think that, like, Sick and Tired, which is the opening song, Over the Water, Rise and Shine, In the Afternoon, and Celia Inside are all, like, the best songs they ever put out. (laughs) And there's some stuff on life that's really great, too. Um, But those songs are just one after another just fucking bangers i mean the only song on this album that i would have cut was is the second song black letter day because i just i don't think that one hangs i agree the album is long enough without it and that song is just not as good i I wouldn't have done the black sabbath cover but i know that was their thing that was that was their joke that every album had a black sabbath cover on it i mean knowing the history of the founders of the band at this point that fucking rocks i love that and now I'm going to listen to all of their Sabbath covers. <laughs> yeah, and it's fine. Uh, like, it's not. It's not like it's not a Sabbath cover. It's like it's it's Abba. I mean, it's the yes. one time that they sound like Abba. It's Sabba. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Is it's exactly as cheesy as that portmanteau, um, and because they just turn it into straight up disco by the end. Which I mean, it's always there, and that's the and that's the the dark secret of all metal. And it's it's one it's it's one beat away from being disco if they really wanted to do it. It's music's fun, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it great to have your entire identity if you ascribe so much meaning to one particular genre of music being just one pitch shift away from fucking your life up? It's amazing. <laughs> And well, I mean, just watch any of those videos that are out there about, you know, songs that have the exact, the identical chord progression oh. and how different you can make the, the exact same chord progression My sound. My fucking favorite one of those that Franz Ferdinand actually did this one. They did TikTok uh, by uh, Gwen Stefani that then smoothly transitioned into White Wedding. And it was so good. Well, it's like how... Um, you know, I always loved that the Pet Shop Boys covered Where the Streets Have No Name and then on the chorus it changes to Can't Take My Eyes Off of You, mm-hmm. which is just such a great, like, mm, just I mean, Where the Streets Have No Name is a great song, but also turning you two at their most pretentious into, a, you know, a disco, <laughs> like, just the most frivolous shit you can imagine. They um, clarified that in a way yeah. that was so great. 
and it's it's the song is great and yeah uh, I, sometimes covers can be transcendent yes um especially when you notice how to how well two songs can flow together that are very different from each other but i i do like the the sabbath bloody sabbath cover on this album it's it's pretty good yeah no it, it's 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 good um so like Ah, <sighs> man, this album's so good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have a hard time ranking it. So, like, After All is, like, this, you know, melancholy solo piano and vocal jazz. But then they fucking do a trip-hop track. <laughs> and it's good. <sighs> Our Space is complete trip-hop. It has the, like, reverse reverb on the, on the, you know, on the drum, or on the guitar and the backmass snare drum. And, and like, there's there's, like you know it's just i'm bl- i'm so blown away by this album and and just got blown away by it all over again and like that they were this good on their first album is like it's really fucking something and i give you that yeah and i'm sorry i don't like it as much as you do i'm not saying it's a bad album i was just more no, just like I, I, like i get it that that you know we're gonna have enthusiasm gaps um oh yeah I'm, absolutely. I'm trying really hard to like rein in the gushing and make a case for particular songs um it's just this album hit me at a time when i was trying to do something new as a musician myself and this was exactly what i what i needed to hear so I'm like the way I played guitar changed tremendously after I heard this album. And I started to get more jangly and more jazzy. Um and this this is this and uh Momus reference of the week, uh Ping Pong by Momus got me interested in like Bossa Nova and jazz guitar. And I started trying to incorporate that that kind of playing into my music. Um but that has nothing to do with like how good this album is um so the the my favorite songs on here are are like sick and tired and over and over the water and rise and shine rise and shine is my favorite song on the album it's probably my favorite cardigan song it's one of my favorite songs of the 90s (laughs) um and it's just like so sunny and jangly but has that just slight edge of melancholy to it and then has the the like the 60s like very slightly crunchy guitar sound that it has on the leads it it all just is like it it really transcends like it's so much more than the sum of its parts because there are a thousand bands that are jingly and sunny and have some like 60s overdrive sound to their guitars that aren't anywhere near this good and there's just a a level of musicianship that is never used to be show-offy. It, oh, like, it, sure. it's, it, And that's my favorite kind of incorporation of... Like, I, I generally don't really care how good a musician you are. I, I kind of make slow jerk-off motion at, like, shredder guitarists and stuff. <laughs> like, it just... Yeah, that's amazing. I don't give a fuck about what you're playing, but you sure can play it. You, like, you definitely... give me a good melody and, and a good arrangement, and that's what this album... It just like, with the exception of Black Letter Day, which isn't even a bad song, it's it's still good. It's just not near near the level of the rest of the album. It's kind of just not at home on this album. Like everything else is just a, just a tier above. Yeah. Um. It, I mean, there's just like, they don't ever play a wrong note <laughs> anywhere on the album. It's just so. There's like, most albums we listen to, I can point to things and be like well this would make it better or it's too long seriously cut out the second track on the album or just don't put it at the second as the second song the songs that would be left uh, like there's nothing i can say that i would do differently and that's good i'm 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 very glad that this album speaks to you on that level and it's i i almost feel bad that it doesn't speak to me on that level but I mean, what are you going to do? Like, sometimes music just doesn't hit with somebody. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm, obviously, I, I want to hear if you have, like, specific things you don't like about it. Because I get, like, some things just aren't your thing, you know? Well, I mean, I think, and I think I've think i said it. I think that it, it does feel a little overproduced in the way that, like, it's just, 
something can be too clean, something can be too precise, and I'm a I'm a I'm a fan of the chaos. So I like uh, I like things to be a little discordant. I like things to be a little fucked up. I like just a little off kilter. And there's nothing in this album that really is, which is I mean a testament to their strength as musicians. But for me, enjoying it is not there. Like, one of the main things that I love about, for the third time we're going to mention this band tonight, Roxy Music, is kind of the saxophone wailing. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a very discordant aspect to that Roxy Music that's fucking rocks. Because no one was really doing that. I mean, you think that, but it would be like uh, Between the Moon and New York City, things like that, like things with saxophone solos. People weren't using these instruments that were the realm of easy listening. Uh to a harder edge and Roxy's not necessarily hard, but they were doing something that was a little, you know, shifty when it came to the way the music sounds. And, and I know what the cardigans sound like later and they start employing that. They start tweaking things, twisting things, making an, a, a love fool is a great example of just like the way that that like intrusive beep beep in that song. It's kind of what makes that song. Uh, but that's not here. And I think they had to break it. They, they, they are, so this, this band as formed was a pristine China set that needed to be cracked. And, and they, the Japanese tradition of reforming pottery with gold, they, they, thing becomes more beautiful once it stops being so pristine. I think that's what they needed to do. And like, I prefer, that's just the way that I perceive this. I don't think this album is bad in any way. I just think it is not for me because it is too clean. Yeah, but I think it's like, just as a personal note, I, I think it's kind of funny that you say that because I would say Jahimi Carey is the the cracked and, and filled in with gold version of the cardigans and you hate her. <laughs> I don't hate Jahimi Carey. <laughs> okay, I thought you had said before that you like can't stand to listen to uh, her. One of her songs I can't stand to listen to. Okay. Because she gets a little too just like, it's the one that's on the second Katamari soundtrack. Because oh, it yeah. is just very like. <laughs> Occasionally, her voice just breaks to the. Yes. She gets so into the Jane Birkin thing that that her voice just starts cracking and and that is whining. <laughs> that 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 is that is that song and it just hurts my ears. I can't wait to do some Kimi Carey on the show. Though. But yeah, I don't I don't hate Kimi Carey, and I think you'll find I don't dislike a lot of musicians. Okay, well, it, except Wire. well we don't have to fight about whether this is above or below manscape because it's definitely above (laughs) and i can agree to that (laughs) no but i i appreciate your passion for this album and i can definitely hear so there are sometimes when you suggest albums that i hear your creativity like resonating from it like you're obviously not copying it but i definitely get a vibe for an aesthetic that you appreciate Oh, I mean, I've, I I admit I've copied the Cocteau Twins in, in my in my time. <laughs> I I I've copied Slow Dive. I accidentally wrote Spanish Air and thought it was my own song. That was, was one of those songs that we've talked about where you <laughs> are listening to something so much and then you write a song and you don't realize that you've totally ripped someone off. And I mean, it happens. It's, it it's, happens. It's okay. It hasn't happened with the Tardigans. I've never totally hardcore ripped them off no but i can hear i'm not a good enough musician to rip them off <laughs> but i can hear the cardigan's influence over what you do yeah there's, there's there's a certain cleanness to some aspects of your production that definitely is coming from them and so i'm not gonna be a big dick about this <laughs> like yeah well I, so just one more thing in the favor of like i don't think this is like it's it's cleanly produced yeah but like in a retro i mean it sounds like burt Bacharach. Yeah, which but, was which was high end in the early seventies, but like if you listen to Burt Bacharach's greatest hits now, it's it's not gonna sound state of the art, and I think that's what they were trying to capture in nineteen ninety four was that sound of you know twenty years ago. But I think it's still too tidy in some ways. Yeah, I don't I don't get that from it, but like I, I mean I I grant that as an argument. I just. I think the the I mean compare this to Lost or the Cocteau Twins oh, yeah. though where it's like so synthetic and and like I like that but this sounds this sounds like a band playing as opposed to like recordings of 
something in deep space. <laughs> oh, yes. And when, when I talk about it being overproduced, it's just that it just feels like so much effort went into every fucking part of it for a sound that is not as com- as swelling. Like, when you think about, like, I would venture to say that some aspects of Siamese Dream are overproduced, but that is also to its to its benefit because Billy Corgan was just being fucking insane. The song Soma has something like 80 tracks of guitar on it. So yes. Yes. <laughs> but also that's my probably my favorite song in that album. So. But but that's fine. And like sometimes when we say something's overproduced, it's okay. Here, I just think it was a, just like maybe too precise might be a better term for it. I just think it's just very just like we can do some stuff. And this was like we're going to make a, a fun time band. And then they just we're competent musicians who did a fun time band and it just is too clean <laughs> if it comes down to it. I I don't know. It, it's I've heard it before with other musicians who like, I I have done like world famous classical guitar and now I'm just gonna shred a little bit, but it still seems a little too tidy. And like it's just yeah. Alright, well, let's talk about ranking. Because it's um, not gonna go as high as I want it to. Um, I mean, just to throw it out there, I would put this at number four. Um, that's a that's a big ask. Where I'm going to actually suggest is number eleven. Um, I can I can have an argument for it's you don't you don't 10, want to, ten was a more influential album. You don't you don't want to dethrone ten. You want ten to be at ten. I I mean, like I said, I I like this. I would put this at number four. But I mean, I'm willing to uh, bump it up to nine. Because I do think it's a good album. Like, it's not my music, but it is... You know, I would almost rather have it below Pearl Jam than below my least favorite Marcy album. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can say, okay, it can't go above 10 because 10 was just so hyper-influential. <laughs> but I can't say that we go right up to Kill Uncle and stop there. Because it's so much better than Kill Uncle. <laughs> and I disagree. Uh, but... Because I like to listen to Kill Uncle. So, but... so this is a rare time when I'm not going to go as high as you're willing to let me because that's too insulting. <laughs> oh, man, you fucking called my bluff on my devil's gambit. <laughs> so I, I I, think number 11 is a good compromise. Okay, I'm willing to put it at 10. Just to dethrone 10 at 10. Get you in the top 10. Oh, man. It also knocks one of the two American artists out of the top ten. <laughs> uh, let's let's do number eleven before I change my mind. Okay, uh, I just just know the door was open. This is uh, this this actually might be my favorite album that we've ranked so far, but I'm I'm not gonna. It's it's not better. You're than being pragmatic. Non-such. It's fine. Yeah, it, like objectively non-such is a better album but i like this more than i'm gonna like anything on the list we're gonna have a hard time on dethroning non-such i yeah yeah because like i i listen to albums that i like a lot and then go oh it's not better than that album though uh loveless definitely would but you know that's our last episode (laughs) see you're giving the whole fucking show away you keep you keep saying we can't that we have to have some drama for people because if loveless goes at number one it's not moving Nothing is better than Loveless. Loveless is the best album ever made. Sometimes I wish our <laughs> podcast was video so you could see my fucking face. <laughs> and my fa- my <laughs> crazed, wild-eyed look. <laughs> and mine of perpetual disappointment. Kevin Shields is a musical genius! Mm. I mean, I actually believe that. but No, 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 no I, and I agree. <laughs> I just don't know if Loveless is... Anyway, no, Loveless, Loveless is the best album of all time is is a hyper, intentionally hyperbolic <laughs> statement. Kevin Shields is a musical genius is like Man, you're so in fucking no lucky. way controversial. You're so fucking lucky that like my favorite albums of all time happened in the fucking 70s. Yeah. Like you are so fucking lucky. Just this bitch doesn't understand the degrees to which she is lucky. <laughs> like just yeah. But yeah, like number eleven. I mean, I said we could go higher, but you know. No, I I I appreciate it, but no, it's too much of a slap in the face to have Kill Uncle <laughs> be directly above above an album this good. Kill Uncle should not be in the top ten. I tried. We'll get it out. You we'll ultimately it out agreed. So all right, Emmerdale by the Cardigans is going going a little bit low at number eleven, but hey, 
tin was, you know, without tin, we wouldn't have candle box or silver chair. And, and then where would we be in life? <laughs> All right. And let's see. So so we're, we're talking about the top 10, so I'll just go ahead and read it off. Uh, 10 is 10 by Pearl Jam. Number 9, Without You I'm Nothing by Placebo. Number 8, Kill Untold by Morrissey. Number 7, Superstition by Susie and the Banshees. Number 6, Spooky by Lush. Number 5, Very by the Pet Shop Boys. Number 4, The Philosophy of Momus by Momus. Number 3, Liberation by The Divine Comedy. Number 2 is Get Lost by The Magnetic Fields. And number 1, Nonsuch by XTC. And if you want to see... Our entire rankings, you can go to bit.ly slash nr1990s. That's bit.ly slash nr1990s. And um, you can also search for us on Spotify, where you can find all of our, the episodes of the show, and also our official show playlist, which contains every album we've ever ranked and the two we're ranking next week. And what are you going to make us rank next week, Adrian? Smoke them if you got them by the Reverend Horton Heat. <laughs> the only artist I've ever seen that stormed off stage. Oh, he's a real piece of shit, but it's fine. Hey, you're a cool <laughs> dude. Piece of shit. Uh, <laughs> Great show. Little, little, little touchy. Yes. I'll tell that story next week. I like, I like that I've now done, I'm just like cornering the Texas market on music. <laughs> um, And so I'm going to be uh, cornering the the early 90s power pop part of music again and i'm bringing lovey by the Lemonheads next week first first evan dando appearance evan dando however you want to say it and i'm adding it to the playlist now finally so we'll see if we can have an american artist get into the top 10 next week besides the magnetic fields and pearl jam well, you know, that, that flow has not been entirely even. And hey, hopefully we have a different president next week. Um, uh, I mean, I'm not, not excited about the options, but like we can do better than what we have. I don't so. think we're going to have results by the time this, the other podcast goes up because it will be ostensibly we will record it. Uh, well, yeah, we're recording really late this week, so. Yeah. Well, in two um, episodes time, perhaps we will have a new president. Please, God, Jesus. Um, yeah, like, look, I will take some fucking just vaguely moldy bread over some fucking rancid milk at this point. So, because <laughs> yep. I can at least rip the mold out of the bread. <laughs> okay. Doesn't really help you from a contagion standpoint, but it makes you feel better. Well, listen to Sisters of Mercy and the Tardigans this week, depending on your mood. Cardigans will cheer you up, such as mercy will aid your, will, will augment your anger. I'm, a, I'm requiring that if you're going to vote pri- uh, after or current while hearing this this podcast, you should blare vision thing incredibly loudly outside of your polling place. Because we need to shout about the motherfuckers in the motorcades. <laughs> Indeed. We will be back next week. <laughs>